Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may yeah. happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling like Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Sadly, the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away Ow. overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. If you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. My new book, Secrets of the Force, is now available in hardcover, digital, and audio from St. Martin's Press. And check out my other great oral histories with Ed Gross of Star Trek, The 50-Year Mission. So say we all, the complete oral history of Battlestar Galactica. And nobody does it better, the complete oral history of James Bond and Spymania. All available in hardcover, paperback, digital, and audio wherever you buy your books. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yell Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind-the-scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Search podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex. This is Mark A. Altman, and this is a 430 movie special report. You know Morse code. Breaking. So if I was going to spell Telluride, what would it be a T? I only know S and O. That doesn't help. A needle pulling thread. Unless you're Peter Gabriel, that doesn't help. Okay. Um, so, so that's, that's why uh, the, this castaways on Gilligan's Island couldn't get rescued. They only knew S and O, but they didn't know S. <laughs> so they could only send so good. <laughs> you know, uh, what's the last one? <laughs> I, I, I learned. I learned from Darren Doctorman. I never knew that the skipper's name was Jonas Grumby. Jonas Grumby. How did you not know that? And how you about the your Gilligan's Spurts title? Oh, what's, oh my what's God! Gilligan's first name, Willie. Uh, G- Gilligan. Willie. Willie Gilligan. Darren and Darren knows all this stuff. He wow. knows that. He knows that the professor's name as well. Yes. I better tune in for the Roy name. Hinkley. Professor's uh, name is not yes. Roy Hinkley. In, 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 is that anything like uh, like in Greatest American Hero? It Are is related. Like, yeah. <laughs> mm. Of course, Believe he didn't Hanson. I I, uh, I want to tune in for this inglorious. In uh, Inglorious Gilgit spurts. <laughs> there has to be a better way to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably, probably so, it's probably so. But I'm sure it would be riveting podcasting on on your on your part. 
You could do live audio commentary for all the Gilligan's Islands. You could have actually actual have the natives come and do. Well, the great thing is, all you have to do is one. Then you, you know can what? Play with all of them. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that podcast. You can't make me. You can't make me. Then we cut to the podcast. Transition to actually doing that podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, so we're back talking about Gilligan's Island. <laughs> We're rapping about Willie Gilligan and his homeboy Jonas. Jonas Grumby. Can I be? Can I be? You know what I'm saying? Can I be a guest on the on the uh, Harlem Globetrotters episode? Yes, yes. I would like to be. And you can talk about the, un, the unfilmed uh, 007 crossover. Yeah. That, okay. Well, look, we decided to to even the though we're on hiatus, we decided to interrupt our hiatus. Because uh, Steve Melching has just gotten back from the lovely uh, Telluride Film Festival up in Colorado, um, where he saw a bunch of really amazing films. And we thought it would be fun to run a newspaper. No, we thought it would be fun to to come and to hear uh, Steve's insights into some of the films. Uh, you know, the Telluride Film Festival is a very, very special film festival. Um, Colorado. Back in the day, like the uh, more... It, it, it takes a lot of work to get up there, right, Steve? Tell, tell us about why the Telluride Film Festival is so unique among all film festivals. Uh, yeah, Telluride, it, for a couple of reasons. Uh, as you mentioned, it is in a very uh, pretty remote location up in the, in the Colorado, high in the Colorado mountains. It's in a box canyon, uh, kind of, as you can kind of see behind me in, the, in my photo. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's a long drive through a lot of twisty mountain roads to get there, uh, or there's an, uh, an airstrip there with, uh, that you can fly into, uh, if, if you can get a flight, there aren't that many flights anymore. Um, and, uh, it, and it's also a festival that, uh, it's, it's unlike other festivals because they don't give prizes and it's not like a film market. It's, uh, it's not like a Sundance or a can or a or, you know, a festival like that. So it's, it's really a festival that celebrates the love of cinema and it's the, the love of world cinema with an emphasis on independent film and, and foreign film, but they, they also do revivals and silence and, and all, kinds of, all kinds of things. And it's been going now, uh, this one I was just at was the 48th annual festival. Uh, so it started in 1973 and, and I was introduced it by by you, Mark. I have never, I don't think I'd ever heard of it before I heard you talking about it. How did you find out about it? And when did you go the first time? Wow. You know, that's a really interesting question. I don't know how I heard about it. I think I read probably an article in like the New Yorker or Spy Magazine or, or something. I just heard it was like the creme de la creme of film festivals and that they didn't announce the schedule until the, the day before it took place. And it was all a big mystery. And it just sounded so exciting and everyone knows how much i love nature and air and trees and, <laughs> you know, so uh but <laughs> but um so I, it was like my last year living in new york and um i booked uh i booked tickets to go to telluride film festival i think it was 1991 1992 something like that and that was the first year i went i went for 16 years or 16 years i went to telluride film festival um i met my wife there at, at, at telluride i mean i had just a, a succession of amazing experiences and even more amazing films over the years. And it was so glad to have the opportunity to um, introduce you to it because I knew you dig it the most. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, 
it was something that when you when you and and our friends uh, Aaron Marr and Kay Rindell, who had also been attending for a few years at that point, were talking about it. It just sounded really interesting, you know, as a film lover to check this out. And I, I'm from Colorado, so I always you know enjoy visiting the state. So just kind of on a whim, I had a pretty good year uh, in 1999 financially, so I could afford to go. That's the other thing. It's not an it's not an inexpensive film festival to attend. Um, it's a, it, the town of Telluride uh, began as a as a mining town. It was a very productive and wealthy mining town uh, over a hundred years ago. I think it's primarily silver and uh, Savannah and Gas. And Savannah Gas. <laughs> And it yeah, was the gas mining uh, business is really starting to pay off. <laughs> uh, I, uh, Butch Cassidy robbed the the town bank uh, at one point of which like is right behind you. If you look behind Steve next to the new Sheridan, <laughs> there is the first bank of Telluride. Wow. The bank, right the, the building with the tower, which wow. uh, that's the that's the Nugget Building. And breaking news at the 48th Festival, the Telluride Film Festival actually purchased the Nugget Building. So they now own that entire building and the Nugget Theater, and they're going to be turning it into uh, a combination of permanent office space, uh, so they'll have a permanent year-round presence in the town, and also a uh, like a filmmaker-in-residence apartment, uh, so a filmmaker can filmmakers can be invited to to live in the town. Looking at that oh, photo, it seems to me that you would always be hearing from Tinkley Pianos, uh, Camp Town. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> constantly over and over. <laughs> yeah, well, over, over to the left is the New Sheridan Hotel, which is a wonderfully old vintage hotel. But more importantly, the restaurant has some great steaks. It sure That's does. Good. The New Sheridan Chop House. Uh, I, we had our first meal uh, of the festival uh, before the festival started. There, it's always uh, always a delight. I remember you and I having several uh, great meals uh, there. And to the right, I see the bookstore. And what was really fun about the bookstore was Steve and I, and, and we would get there a couple of days before the festival started. So you were always looking for clues as to what movies they were going to show. And um, basically, if you went to the bookstore, they generally would have filmmaker signings. So if you were really smart, you would kind of like deduce from what books they had in the window, mm. what films they were going to be see showing based oh, on yeah. like the filmmaker whose books were in the window. And it was like a little detective game. We were like little Hardy boys trying to figure uh, out the, the mystery of the missing <laughs> movies. Um, so it, it, it and they, just, they would also program films in the town park uh, that were usually related to uh, the honorees or, or the other films in the festival. So you could gain, glean some clues that way as well. Yeah, yeah. Although my favorite experience of seeing a movie in the town park was uh, when it was, uh, uh, I saw Apocalypse Now in monsoon weather. It was pouring rain and mud. And so it was well, like, perfect. actually, yeah, exactly. The only <laughs> thing missing where, where, the, where, the, where the guns, uh, you know, the helicopters landing and the, the, gun, the guns shots going by. But it was a pretty extraordinary way to watch Apocalypse Now outdoors in the, uh, in the park, in the rain. And of course, I had a similar experience seeing The Magnificent Seven there, where, you know, you would just see the actual mountains and trees and skies behind the screen. And it was like, that was what was on the screen. It was almost like extending beyond because it was, dun, 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 dun. it was pretty cool. And but, then you um, and I had another great experience in the town park uh, with our with Kay and Aaron uh, seeing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 
which had premiered at the festival uh, a couple days before, and we loved it so much, we wanted to see it again. So we went to yeah. the town park and and uh, and watched it again. Yeah, you, you know, um, I met Kay and Aaron at Telluride. That's how we how I met them. That's funny. Um, you know, uh, and uh, you know, we became friends, and I found out, you know, they were writers at the time. I think on Millennium uh, for mm. Fox, and uh, and then you know made the mistake of introducing them to this little. Uh, uh, group of ours, uh, you know, these the friend of ours, as they say in the mafia. And uh, so basically, uh, you, just you know, they become mafia. good friends. You're yes. not supposed to say that word. <laughs> the Cosa Nostra. Um, no, this, this thing of ours. This thing of ours? Yeah. <laughs> this thing, this the Cosa Nostra. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. Uh, 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 uh. That's, that, sounds yeah, like that's, a, that sounds like a good podcast title. Doesn't it sure it? does, it does actually. <laughs> we should that's, do a that's... podcast, guys. Yeah, that's what we need. <laughs> Another podcast. God. Between <sighs> all of us, we have four podcasts. We got you, the Cartoon Bar Room with Ashley and 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 Steve, uh, the wonderful Cartoon Bar Room. And then we have uh, the Inglorious Trexperts with Darren and myself, and uh, very frequently Ashley as well. The Trexperts Briefing Room, an entirely different podcast, and the 430 <laughs> Movie. So that's four podcasts. Count them. So four. I don't. I. I. The thought of doing any more is is quite daunting. Five is right out. Cast there are five podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are only four. I can tell you five. Um. <laughs> But so, Steve, uh, obviously, this was an exciting year at Telluride, and, and and Telluride has been a leading tastemaker in terms of the Oscar race as of recent. And it used to be yeah. a little gem and that nobody knew about, and unfortunately, in the last 10 years or so, it seems like all the Oscar prognosticators are up there, and you know they, they, they've been very good about premiering many of the films that would go on to win Best Picture. So, you know, sort of the secret is out. It, it, you know, the fact it's not this hidden gem anymore. But uh, can you sort of tell us, I mean, it's such an interesting combination of sort of indie uh, uh, studio films, but then also like retrospectives of classic silent films and obscurities. Um, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, what your experience was like this year. Yeah, well, as you kind of alluded to, there are a couple different kinds of people that go to the festival. There, there are the, the, the journalists and prognosticators that like to see this year's big, buzzy Oscar contenders. Uh, and then there are sort of the, the average festival goer, I would say, who's really also interested in seeing the movie stars and, and directors there. And that's, that's another really great thing about the festival. In order to have a film play there, it really has to be a North American premiere, so it wouldn't have played at any other festivals in North America. It, a lot of films have played at Cannes prior to this, so there's a little buzz about them. But also, the filmmakers need to be in attendance, so you usually have the main stars and the director uh, present to introduce screenings and do Q&As. So I know we've seen all kinds of superstars just wandering around the town and lots of stories of, you know, George Clooney drinking in the new Sheridan bar there or Peter O'Toole riding a bicycle down this main street or, you know, Meryl Streep or Jodie Foster or Clint Eastwood. You know, they're, they're all there at, at one Peter point. Peter Bogdanovich and his ASCOT. Yes. And there are a couple of uh, there are a couple of regular fixtures of the festival where it just doesn't seem like Telluride if you don't see them. Uh, mainly uh, Werner Herzog, who is a fixture. Star of the Mandalorian, you may know <laughs> <Yeah>. him. <laughs> you may know him from the Mandalorian. <laughs> and uh, and Ken Burns, the documentary filmmaker. 
Um, although, sadly, this year both were absent at the festival. I understand Werner's wife had a COVID, so he did not travel, and Ken Burns uh, sent his daughter to the festival with Muhammad Ali, uh, their current uh, documentary series, but he it's did funny. not attend. It's funny, when you see Ken Burns in person, it seems like he's moving slowly towards you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! So, uh, so anyway, yeah, this was the uh, the forty eighth uh, annual festival, uh, and uh, Mark alluded to the, uh, the the schedule is not announced until the day of or the day before the festival. I, I kind of think of it as there was this famous sushi restaurant here in L.A. called Sushi Nozawa, and uh, those in the know would go to the restaurant and order the trust me special from Chef Nozawa. So this mm -hmm. is kind of the trust me festival. Mm -hmm. You go there as an act of faith that you're going to see great movies. And uh, so I was talking about the different types of people that go. The third type of person that attends a festival is probably someone like you and me who are interested in a mix of films. Like I'm really interested in seeing things that you can only see at Telluride. Like they, they will usually program a restored silent film. Uh, often with live musical accompaniment. And that's kind of a one-off experience. Uh, we've seen some really special films there. I remember the four of us seeing uh, the silent version of Nosferatu literally on a dark and stormy night with live musical accompaniment. And that was just really fantastic. We almost um, died that night. <laughs> coming down <laughs> the, the gondola from Mountain Village, there's this gondola. It's about a 15-minute ride from Telluride over the mountain to, to Mountain Village where they have another theater venue, the Chuck Jones Theater. Chuck that Jones was no being boating the, accident. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck Jones was another uh, longtime uh, fan of the festival, and he's, his, I think his notable quote was, uh, it's the most fun I've ever had without breathing. <laughs> <laughs> That's not untrue. I mean, the air is the air, and there's a very little of it up there. You know, it's very high altitude, and... Uh, you know, in the past, when I was younger, you know, you, you noticed, you definitely noticed it was hard to breathe. But when my wife was pregnant, we went. That was the last year we went. It was she had a we had to leave early because she could. I barely breathe. It was it was really wow. um, uh, tough because the air is much thinner up there, but much I, I, cleaner. Yes, <laughs> I, I remember one year we were there. David Lynch was there with the Straight Story, and he had yes. to leave early because he was having trouble with the altitude. You didn't year. have like a little oxygen tank. <laughs> <laughs> look at me! Don't look at me! <laughs> Although that's funny because the year before my first year, they showed Twin Peaks, the ABC, the pilot. That was, I think, the first time they programmed a TV pilot, and they showed the Twin Peaks um, at uh, at Telluride. And I remember, I'm like, I missed it by a year. But then, of course, uh, we ended up seeing Mulholland Drive there, which was yes. a revelation. Yeah, that was great. Um. Yeah, so and the other thing about Telluride, being up in the mountains uh, over the Labor Day weekend, the weather is very unpredictable and can change a lot. We've been there years when it's rained. We've been there when it snowed. It actually snowed a couple of years we were there. And, uh, and sometimes it's spectacular. Like this last year, it was a little cloudy and rainy the first day and a half. And then it was just cloudless skies and 70 degree temperatures for the rest of it. It's spectacular. Um, so this year, the festival, uh, it's normally over the Labor Day weekend, the Friday through Monday, um, but every 10th year, they will add a day to the festival, um, or at least they did for the, the 30th and the 40th. And uh, they added a day this year because the 2019, 
2020 festival was canceled because of COVID, uh, and they wanted to stretch out the festival so that the audience would be a little more dispersed, so the theaters wouldn't be filled to capacity to try to get a little distancing. And and they had you know mandated that all attendees be vaccinated and and provide a a negative uh, COVID PCR test prior to arrival. And and wear masks, of course, in in all indoor venues. Um, so it felt it felt safe. And uh, uh, I was there for the full festival. I saw eighteen films during the five days, and then one bonus film for the festival after the festival. And uh, masked up. And and I apparently there were a couple of breakthrough cases in town that I heard about. But uh, my wife and I both uh, escaped completely unscathed. So. Um, so I, I said I saw 18 or 19 movies total at the festival. Wow. There were, it's impossible to see everything at this festival. It's physically impossible. There were 44 feature films programmed in the festival, plus uh, five special screenings, and the Backlot Theater had 11 more for a total of 63 feature films or feature-length collections of shorts. Steve, I think if you were dedicated enough, you would have been able to watch everything. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're yeah, beginning I, to uh, question your, uh, your love of cinema. Yeah, I think I that was to... my, my record, I think, was either 14 or 15. But that it's brutal. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's I mean, a lot I of think movie my, my record was seeing six films in one day. I think I did that twice yeah. over all my years there. And I, to me, a good day is four to five. If I only see three, it feels like a disappointment. Um, but this, you know, I've kind of slowed down because, you know, I, I realized that I'm not doing anybody any good if I'm getting up at 730 in the morning and hustling down to a theater and to get in line and then falling asleep. Plus your reflexes just aren't what they were. Yeah, it's true. So mm-hmm. 18 movies in four days is slowing down to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you sure. know. There were there were two two days of the festival where I just decided not to do the morning movie. I thought, screw it, I'm not going to do a nine a.m. movie. I'm going to sleep in and I'll go to an eleven or a, a noon movie. Does your wife Dana see everything with you, or or no? Most of the time, but that's the other thing about this festival. You'll go in groups, and then you'll you'll everyone has their different tastes, and you'll you'll yeah. split apart. Like uh, when the schedule comes out, that's when you start doing the math, and you think like, what are the films I are must sees. We're the ones I really want to see, and we're the ones I don't care about so much. Um, I, it's rare to see a movie there that's that I don't like. I, I think I've only seen a, a, a few. I know you and I saw one called La Grande Bouffe. <laughs> if you made me guess, I was going to say La Grande Bouffe. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Which is this black and white French film about these guys that were basically going to eat themselves to death. Just and, not stop eating as, until they died. As yeah. you do. And it was Oh, long. not like actually like auto-cannibalism, but like... Not, no, not cannibalism. They were just a, a non-stop <laughs> meal. Which is funny because... Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I just like... I that would be mutual cannibalism. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I, that definitely is the movie I would have pointed to um, as well as, as being one of the, the lowlights. Because there's so many highlights. And of course... Um, you know, Steve is, and we would often, you know, not go to the biggest movies because those would be coming out theatrically. So, yeah. you know, you'd go and seek out other stuff like Norman Lloyd, a tribute to Norman Lloyd, or the silent films, or, you know, a great retrospective of a movie like uh, History is Made at Night, or wait, first time we saw Seven Men from Now, the great, yeah. was, I'm, I think I ever heard of Bud Bedecker. Uh, yeah. You know, and the Bud Bedecker renowned westerns. 
uh, when we went to see Seven Men from Now and how great that was. And I remember, you know, seeing John Alton uh, there and, and speak. And, and uh, uh, that was the year where they did their whole 3D tribute, I think. And of course, remember the year they did the Cinerama tribute where they actually equipped the camera with the uh, the theater for to project three strips. All three panel Cinerama. That yeah, was pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, um, yeah and, and also those, the big uh, sort of premiere movies tend to be, you know, the, the popular ones. So there's always that chance you're not going to get in. And that's another thing I love about this festival. It's very sort of egalitarian. There's really only two classes of, of attendees at the festival. There are the ones that buy the... The Morlocks and the... <laughs> Eloy. Eloy. <laughs> the, the, the grips and the, the grups and the... No. Uh, the the, the grips and the grups? The, the richie riches that can afford the the patron pass, uh, right. which, you know, these are people that have, have a lot of dough and, and that money really does support the festival. So it's good. And they limit the number of those badges they sell. Although I wonder sometimes if they limit them to the number that they can sell. But um, <laughs> those people get to go into the theater first mm-hmm. and then it's everyone else. And I love it because you line up. And about an hour before showtime, a volunteer will come down the line and hand you something called a cue, a, a laminated number. Funny thing card. is, it was John Delancey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and or so a, you or a you. giant serpent. <laughs> yeah. The wing serpent. serpent. <laughs> <laughs> so you have your numbered card. So you can't save a place for anyone in line. You have to physically be in line, and That's they will it. only like admit. That. And they will only admit people to the theater in numerical order. So there's no screwing around. I mean, obviously, there's nothing to prevent people from saving seats inside the theater, which we might have done once or twice over the years. But I I have to perhaps something I find most surprising about that is, and maybe it's just because I'm so far now removed from going to movies where I have to get in line Mm. to get the seat. Right. Like, I have to wonder how far away they are from, you know, the whole. Reserving your seat online, assigned seats thing. Yeah, it would take away the fun of it because, mm-hmm. you know, I think part of the joy, it's a throwback to when we were, you know, I wouldn't even say kids because it was really only t- like 10, 15 years ago where uh, a reserved seating became ubiquitous. Yeah. But think about all the times we waited online for films, in line Tons for films, mm-hmm. and the oh, people yeah. that you would talk to and meet and the conversations that you would have while waiting online. Guys, I'm so excited for the Phantom Menace. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so... Because we know um, how much you enjoy meeting new people. Yes. Yeah, it's Mark. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute. I knew? Oh. <laughs> that wasn't directed me. Well, it was different. It, it was a different Italian. I, I remember... Because I remember... Um, there was this older couple. Uh, I mean, I like this probably twenty years ago, but you know, yeah, <laughs> they're probably our is. age now. No, yeah. they were much older. It was they were much older. Than this. And and they were like they were looking at the schedule, trying to figure out the scene. I said, "What's this? Uh, what's this? Ed Wood? Is this something you think we would like?" And I'm like, "Oh, you got to see it. It's Tim Burton. Um, Ed Wood. It's it's you. You just go see it. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. It's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's it's Tim Burton's greatest film." Uh, Martin Landau is, you know, sublime and whatever. And and uh, so like, okay, we're going to go see it based on your recommendation. Then, of course, I ran into them the next day online for a movie. And they're like, hey, it's the Ed Wood guy. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and they're like, we loved it. And I'm like, oh, oh okay, well, good. So, hey, I mean, that, there's a lot of fun to that. And you do get a sense of what is people are enjoying at the festival and maybe what is overrated and 
you, you really get the the the, um, the pulse of what's happening in town, uh, which is great. Also, restaurants as well. And that, that helps with that, doing the math that I talked that I talked about earlier, like figuring out what you're going to see. Like for me, I always look for what's what are the big what's the big silent film, and if that sounds interesting, that, that I'm just going to block that out, and everything has to flow around that. Um, and sometimes you just have a, a hole in your schedule. And they're like, well, I could see one of these three movies. Like, hey, I'll check this one out. And you're like, it might turn out to be fantastic. Like, I, I, I never would have thought to go see this movie, but I had a hole in my schedule and I saw it and, and it was really good. They also do tributes to actors and directors and cinematographers. And those are always fun because generally they show a retrospective of their older films along with something new that they have coming out. Yeah, so this year they, it's called the Silver Medallion. They they usually award three of them every year, and this year the except honorees, to Chewbacca. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this year the honorees were uh, director Jane Campion, uh, actor Peter Dinklage, and uh, actor Riz Ahmed. Did they play We Are the Campions? <laughs> oh, no. uh, but oh, is like, oh God, stop! Uh, <laughs> wow. But. Um, yeah, how 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 were those, and and what did people have to say? Well, uh, uh, I, I talked about how many films played versus how many I saw by way of qualifying that there were a lot of the big buzzy movies that I did not see. So I did not see the Jane Campion film, The Power of the Dog, starring Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, I heard it was good. I didn't hear it was life changing, but does I heard he it play, was good. Does he play the power or the dog? <laughs> Is the it dog. that the movie about the dyslexic priest? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Good. That's good. And then uh, uh, Peter Dinklage was there with a, a film I really wanted to see, uh, Cyrano, a, a, oh. an adapt, a musical version of Cyrano de Bergerac, directed by Joe Wright. Um, it sounded really interesting, and I really wanted to see it. Uh, I heard mixed buzz about it, and it mm. just did not fit into my schedule. I was pretty bummed about that. Um, mm. And then Riz Ahmed was there. Uh, actually, Riz Ahmed was had to go in via via video for the. They allowed him to attend via video because he was in England and couldn't go through all the. He was shooting something or whatever. Um, he had a film called um, uh, "I'm the Pilot." Yeah, yeah, called Encounter, uh, directed by a guy named Michael Pierce. Uh, that star also starred Octavia Spencer and Janiyah Gavankar, and um, I did not care for it. I got to be mm. honest. It was one of the weakest films I have ever seen at Telluride. It was a uh, Riz Ahmed played this like paranoid war veteran who takes his kids on a cross country trip to keep them safe from alien microbes that he believes are infecting humanity. Oh, and it's mm. sort of a bi- invasion of the body snatchers, paranoid thriller, but it, to me, it just really didn't, ro- it really wasn't anything special. I was really disappointed in that. It's too bad. One. He's a wonderful actor. And, yeah, he's uh, great. You know, yeah, I really well, like well, him. Well deserving of the recognition. It's too bad. But that often happens. You, you honor somebody who's had this incredible career, but yet the film that they're showing is not necessarily serving them the, the best. Not and their I know best there was, work. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I went to see, they did a Jennifer Jason Lee, and it just felt very, way too early in her career to honor her. And it was at the time. Did they show Single White Female? I I think it was even before Single White Female. So it was like, you know, it was like way early. Like sometimes they, they, you know, it just seems like, you know, too soon, too soon. Um, And, and, uh, but then, you know, they honored somebody like David Lynch, the uh, straight story came out, which was fantastic. Except generally there's a really great Q and a 
But with Lynch, as you mentioned, he wasn't feeling well. I don't think he even showed up for, to accept his silver medallion. I don't think yeah, he think ever he gives a great Q&A. <laughs> he likes to it's, talk about logs. Yeah, <laughs> and, if he did, he, he came very quickly. And how Bob's Big you know, Boy serves you a vanilla shake in a silver goblet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so during my time in telluride i saw it's a mixture of narrative films uh and documentaries there seemed like there were a lot of documentaries this year um and so i saw 10 narrative films and i'll just briefly go through them uh probably not my favorite one but probably the one that you're going to be hearing the most about that i saw was called king richard uh, and uh, it stars Will Smith as Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena Williams. And mm. it's one of those movies that is a, one of those mid-budget range sort of true story biopics that just checks every box. And it's so well made. Uh, Will Smith is terrific in it. I, I would be shocked if he's not at least nominated for an Oscar. He, he might win for that performance. Uh, and... Um, the girls uh, that the, the the actresses that played Venus and Serena, uh, Sonia Sidney and Demi Singleton, were both terrific. And it's a it's a great you know underdog story of this struggling family in Compton and the Richard Williams and his passionate belief in training his daughters to be world champions when nobody takes him seriously or believes him. And you know we all know how that ends, but it's still a really solid. Uh, uh, you know, emotional uh, movie. So I, that's one I would definitely uh, recommend. I believe it premieres on HBO Max in November. Like a lot of these films that play to the festival uh, this year are going to be streaming soon if they're not already um, because of the nature of uh, distribution right now. Uh, in the past, you know, we'd see films at Telluride that would sort of trickle out over the next year in, yeah, in limited right. release. Um, yeah, some not for another year or two after yeah. they debuted Tell You Right. But a lot of films, some didn't have distribution when they screened. Yeah, you know, they hadn't even been picked up for distribution. And and that's another great thing about Tell You Right. It's not it's not a film market, so there aren't people there making deals, you know, and there aren't there's no paparazzi there. So uh, you know, you you're free to approach people. I've talked to a number of of directors and, and actors uh, in, in town. I remember once waiting in line for a movie in front of Saul Zantz, the producer yeah. of friggin' Amadeus, yeah, is in yeah, line yeah. behind me to see this movie. I'm like, that's crazy. And I'm like, oh, there's Milo Schwarman. I want to go ask Milo Schwarman a question on the street. Yeah, I remember crazy. seeing uh, Swingers. It had the American premiere there. I think it had played Toronto or Venice. But, uh, and, 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 Favreau and Vince Vaughn and everybody were sitting like right in back of me and Doug Lyman were like, like right behind me. And, uh, you know, that, that was, that was, it was fun. It was the first time I saw Swingers and just, you know, fell in love with it. And, you know, Reservoir Dogs had premiered at Sundance, but then that fall it played at, uh, at Telluride. Um, and it was very exciting to, to see because I came back saying, oh, everybody, you got to see this movie. It's, it's, it's so great. And I remember you and I having lunch once at a at, at this little diner in town, and sitting at the next booth, I believe by himself was Willem Dafoe, who was yeah. there with uh, Shadow of the Vampire, which yeah. is a, a really cool little the vampire, yeah. yeah, Shadow of the Vampire, which was really cool. And, so uh, he was he was he was wearing those same overalls he wore in um, Streets of Fire, 
We we we, we I, weren't talking about Streets of Fire, but we used it. No, uh, <laughs> we used our dis- discretion. Um, so that but, another film of note that I saw it was Kenneth Branagh's new film Belfast, which uh, just won the People's Choice Award at the Toronto Film Festival, and it stars Jamie Dornan, uh, Judy Dench, and Kieran Hines. And it's sort of a, a semi-autobiographical film about growing up in Northern Ireland in the 60s. Um, and it's black and white. Um, and it's it's solid, I think, maybe a little overrated. It's good. It's one of those, uh, it's it's kind of a feel-good movie, mm. uh, even though it takes place during the Troubles. And there's, a, there's that kind of violence happening, but it's a good family story. Uh, and it seems to be one that a lot of people respond to. Um, so I think you might be hearing some more from that. Uh, probably my the favorite. Irish Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably my favorite narrative film that I saw there was called Red Rocket, and it was directed by Sean Baker, who did the Florida Project uh, with Willem Dafoe uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, it stars uh, uh, Simon Rex uh, and some lesser-known actors, Brie Elrod and Susanna Sun, and it's this really gritty funny, cringy, low-budget, grounded film about this washed-up porn actor, played by Simon Rex, who returns to his small Texas Gulf Coast town, uh, but no one there is happy to see him. Uh, And he uses his, he's got this endless charm and enthusiasm and guile that he kind of worms his way back into the lives of his ex-wife and her mother and moves in with them. And he starts uh, hustling and selling drugs and and plotting a return to Los Angeles that he thinks he can accomplish by uh, seducing a high school girl who works at the local donut shop into becoming a porn actress. So it's a really uncomfortable yet really funny movie that uh, it's one of those that I think you either love it or hate it. I loved it. Uh, There were a lot of walkouts during the movie because a lot of the, you know, the, the older crowd just wasn't down with the subject matter. Um, yeah, that's what it, happened when I saw the the devils there. A lot oh of my walkouts. god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think during Bad Lieutenant, somebody yelled out, "Never tell your own, never tell your own." They had to escort them out. This <laughs> person freaked out about that. That you know, but it, but it's rare because most people are pretty open minded, and if you don't like something, you just leave. You don't feel the need to share your derision. With yeah, but sometimes it does happen. Red Rocket is one of those movies that kind of separates the film lovers from those that don't like to stray too far out of their comfort zones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it premiered at Cannes earlier this year, where it received a five-minute standing ovation. So the French loved it. But then again, the French they made service. a movie about dudes eating themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Red Rocket, I would recommend uh, looking out for. Another one uh, that I liked was called Unclenching the Fists, which was a really <laughs> This is a Telluride movie, man. I was it's laughing a- at Ashley's face. I was laughing at your face. <laughs> no, you. It's this really bleak drama that takes place in the mountain, mountainous Ossetia region of, uh, of the Russian Caucasus about this young woman who tries to escape from her leering, hyper-controlling father. And it's it's... It's a really tough family drama that's got a, a like a hint of incest about it and uh, and despair, but it's it's creates such an incredible sense of place and the cinematography is really spectacular in these the, these mountains there and um, I don't know I, I thought it was I thought that was good. 
then there was the one called A Hero, uh, written and directed by Asghar Farhadi, who uh, won the Oscar a few years ago for his film A Separation, uh, won the best foreign film uh, as an Iranian film. And, and this one is uh, about uh, a man in Tehran who's uh, released from a debtor's prison for a weekend and tries to convince his creditor to uh, withdraw his complaint uh, in return for a partial repayment and and things just keep going wrong for this guy and he's in danger of going back to prison for for many years and it's kind of one of those movies about uh, the the nightmare of bureaucracy and navigating the laws and customs in in Iran um, so not nearly as good as a separation I thought a separation was terrific this one I actually dozed off a couple times during but it was good. <laughs> Uh, then there was one called Come On, Come On, uh, directed by uh, Mike Mills, who is famous for a lot of music videos, um, but it stars uh, Joaquin Phoenix uh, as a, uh, like a radio journalist slash podcaster who uh, ends up having to take his precocious nephew uh, across the country as he's recording his latest project. I just and- have to say like, that podcaster's not a real job. <laughs> are you That's not getting paid for this, Ashley? Did you not get paid? What you guys don't you tell guys, them. You guys are. <laughs> I just yes. got a raise. Oh, so. so come on, come on! A, a lot of people seem to really like it. I thought it was solid, but uh, you know, it was it, it was like a solid B for me. You know, it was, right. it was good. And Joaquin Phoenix is 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 really good in it, um, but it didn't like knock my socks off. Uh, then Benedict Cumberbatch was there with another film uh, called The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, uh, which co-starred uh, Claire Foy from The Crown. And uh, it's about uh, the it's a biopic about Louis Wayne, who is this commercial artist in London in the late 1800s, early 1900s, who uh, started drawing anthropomorphized cats that were published in uh, a London uh, newspaper and became a sensation. And he became sort of world famous for his cat drawings and became this sort of uh, uh, advocate for cats as pets. As prior to that time, people really didn't keep cats as pets. And he was he became uh, uh, an important figure in uh, animal rights for cats um, movements and stuff like that. And it's a, it was, a, again, a, a lower budgeted, solid drama. Uh, Cumberbatch was really good in it. Um, it's probably worth your time, uh, but not not one for the ages. When did you find out he was con? <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw one. We saw one called "The Same Storm," uh, where the title comes uh, from that uh, quote: "We're not all in the same boat, but we're all in the same storm." Uh, and it was sort of a, a COVID drama uh, mm. directed by Peter Hedges, who directed "What's Eating Gilbert Grape." And it has this huge cast that included people like Mary Louise Parker, Elaine May, Sandra Oh, Alison Pill. And it's this movie that was made, uh, the, the, the director, Hedges, didn't even meet half of his cast in person during the production of this film because everyone filmed everything sort of over right. Zoom or filmed themselves. And uh, it, it's this sort of circular interconnecting poignant vignettes about life during co- the COVID lockdown. And it was, it was surprisingly solid. It kind of rose for me, it rose above uh, those limitations. I thought, is this going to be like a zoom play? <laughs> like, no, it was, it was much better than that. And um, 
the, the funny thing about that one is uh, my, my wife bears a resemblance to Mary Louise Parker and is sometimes uh, mistaken for her uh, in real life. And, and Mary Louise Parker was at Telluride this year and thought, oh, I hope we get to see her. Well, during the screening of the Riz Ahmed movie Encounter in this theater that was only about a third full, Mary Louise Parker sat down right next to my wife. The very next seat. The whole rest of the row was empty, but her and her son sat in the next seat. So we ended up chatting with her before the movie and uh, and complimented her on the same storm. Uh, and she was super nice. Oh, that's um, great. That's great. I always I always thought she was terrific. By the way, I have to say, it's so good to see Elaine May doing, you know, a lot more acting these days. Um, we watched uh, Having Can Wait on Saturday, uh, which, you know, she co-wrote uh, with Buck Henry. And it's still great. That movie's still great. Yeah, I still have to see wondering. it. I've never seen it. You've never yeah, seen it. I can wait. Is it streaming somewhere or did you, did you have it on disc? I, I have it on disc and then I also have it on Apple Apple TV. You know, I mean, okay. I, you know, but uh, you can buy it on iTunes. Uh, Darren, isn't Heaven Can Wait awesome? Didn't you I pick it for one of your uh, 430? Yeah, yeah, I, I picked it for Sports Week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I picked it for Sports Week. One of us did, right, Darren? Yeah. Yeah, it's so great. It's great. Uh, like oh maybe I, maybe I, one of us picked the natural and one of us picked heaven can wait. Right. Yeah, it's so it's so it, it totally holds up. It, it, it unfortunately is not as well known these days as as it should be. It was a huge hit when it came out. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was remade by Chris Rock many years later. Um, well, in it, in itself, it is it was, a remake. It was a remake of itself. Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Yeah. And and in fact, uh, James Mason was in that, and then he plays a different role in Heaven Can Wait. He's so great in it. Everyone's great in that movie. Jack Warden, amazing. So anyway, so, so yes, yeah, Steve, you should you should watch when we do uh, movies we should have watched that we've never seen week again or whatever it's called. You watch <laughs> yes, Heaven Can Wait. And, okay, and so the the last narrative film that I saw was a, a stop motion animated movie called Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Um, which was directed by a guy named Dean Fleischer Camp and, uh, and written by uh, Dean and Jenny Slate, the comedian. And uh, it's based on a YouTube short from 2010 that got like 32 million views. It apparently was hugely popular, I guess, among the millennials or something, because I'd never heard of it. Uh, yeah. and, and I think they also wrote a children's book uh, based on it. And it's uh, Marcel is this little seashell with little sneakers and a little eyeball and it's stop motion animated and voiced by Jenny Slate. And it's this sort of, um, wistful, charming, uh, movie about this, about this little childlike shell that lives in this, this empty house with, uh, his grandmother played by Isabella Rossellini or voiced by Isabella Rossellini. Wow. And, uh, his, his, uh, the rest of his shell community is, inadvertently kidnapped away from the house when the couple that Frank Booth? The, yeah, when the couple that lived in the house previously had a breakup and the the man like packed up all his stuff and in times of crisis all the shells go and hide in the sock drawer and so they accidentally got packed up with all this guy's stuff and so it's about mm -hmm. this shell alone and this this guy uh, uh, goes to, to to live in the house as an Airbnb and meets the shell and, and quizzes the shell. So it's this really kind of cute, charming, uh, light 
a movie, really well done stop motion animation. The integration of the uh, the live action stop motion is really good. Um, so it's it's Toy Story for people who like shells. Yeah, I mean it's a it's <laughs> yeah it's good and and it was kind of a it was one of those films that really caught fire among the attendees because it was such a nice change of pace from something like the bleak drama of unclenching the fists. You got oh it's Marcel the shell, this cute little shell that makes all these witty funny observations about See, life. Shells can't catch fire uh, <laughs> or or talk. Yeah, it, it, people it, it, they can't talk on fire. It was uh, it was uh, it was programmed uh, a couple of times as a TBA, like as, as the way the schedule works in Telluride, they'll block out every uh, showtime at all the different venues in town for the first couple days. And then in the second half of the festival, a lot of those are open slots where they will program in films that are that, that people seem to want to see more of. So yeah, they were sold, sold out or super popular. And then a couple you they take uh, that weren't announced because either New York is supposed to have the world premiere or um, they premiered in Venice. And then they, so you, the, the, the TBA slot, we remember, we always were hoping for the new Woody Allen movie. I mean, Bullets Over Broadway was like a, um, a TBA one year. We were so happy about that. It's funny. I remember reading um, TV Guide when I was a kid and they would sometimes have an entry that said to be announced. And I really thought that that was a show. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, I was just explaining to my son how we would watch in August the Saturday morning preview. Mm -hmm. yeah, that was the and that's how we would find out yeah. what the cartoons were going to be and yeah. how you would wake up on Saturday morning and just watch cartoons all morning till about it was, noon. It was usually the the Friday before the Saturday that everything premiered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, that's how you would plan. Preview, the super sneak preview Saturday special. I think they did on yeah. You had no idea what was coming that yeah. fall, you know. Uh, maybe you would see, they would also be the same week ads and TV Guide that had yeah. all like, this is the CBS the lineup. Yeah, yeah, the, the exciting CBS But you also didn't know what was coming. 1978. Right. right. And, and, and those shows often featured the Osmonds. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I love the way, you know, you have to move between channels because no one channel ever nailed it. So you go from Scooby-Doo, yeah. you know, so then Super Friends and 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 it's like Arc 2 and just jump around. Uh, and, and then it would all Are end with... Uh, still on? On CBS, uh, it was like... Remember they had the, the kids show, or the news show for kids on CBS? Yeah, in the news. In the news, right. And that would sort of wrap Christopher up... Christopher Glenn. The day. <laughs> yep, yep. And that would kind of wrap and it then, up. And then, like, bowling or golf would come on. Right. And like, you knew yeah. it was over. And that was over. Fishing. <laughs> yeah, well, because fishing. the schoolhouse rocks were done. They know you Usually, wouldn't more schoolhouse by 11 rocks. or 11.30, the fun was over. Yeah. yeah. Way over. Yeah. That's when I would have to go mow the lawn. Yeah. Yeah, like in the middle the of the day when it was... Freaking hot. Or in hot. Virginia. It's yeah. super hot in Virginia oh, in the summer. God. Oh, my God. I got to mow the freaking lawn. Yeah. That's when I would kill time until Space 1999 came on that afternoon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so on the documentary side of films at Telluride, I saw seven, and uh, they, were, they were all pretty solid. Um, the first one I saw was called Nuclear Family, and that has just uh, started airing on HBO and HBO Max this last week, I believe. It's a three-part documentary directed by a woman named Rai Russo-Young, and it's it's... It's a fascinating movie. It's one of those that it's so it's deeply personal. It's made from footage that she or her family has filmed over 
decades. And it basically starts in uh, the late 70s or early 80s when her parents, uh, are a, a lesbian couple named Sandra Russo and Robin Young, are among the vanguard of using sperm donors to start families, biological families of their own. And it was very uncharted waters at the time. And they they got involved in the, the gay community. So they would get the sperm from gay men and and use a bit turkey baster to impregnate themselves so they could bear their own children without a, a conventional father figure that they they everyone agreed would not be in the picture as uh, moving forward. But of course, life being what it is, uh, that didn't happen. And the sort of um, complications that ensued over the decades kind of make up the bulk of this movie. And uh, it's, it's, you know, this, this transactional relationship becomes a familiar, a complicated, a very complicated one. And this particular couple was the subject of a landmark custody and visitation case when one of the uh, one of the fathers wanted uh, visitation rights, and it was very contentious. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a pretty solid movie. I think maybe it's a little too long. I think maybe three parts, maybe pushing it, but uh, mm. it's really good, and it's really fascinating to see all this footage of these kids growing up. and And she interviewed her parents multiple times over the years, and and other people uh, involved in the family and, and lawyers and things. It's, it's really fascinating. Okay. Uh, there's another really good one, a documentary called Julia about uh, Julia Child, hmm. uh, directed by Betsy West and Julie Cohen, who did the documentary RBG uh, recently. And it's a fascinating, I, I didn't know that much about Julia Child. She's another one that like, oh, the French chef is on. Cartoons are over now. It's like, <laughs> like oh, today we're going to cook up. Make a coca la vie, you know, coca vine. Um, but she led what a What is fasc- the caca vine? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> Julia Child led a fascinating life. She Absolutely. was born into a wealthy family in Pasadena, um, but didn't, and it was abnormally tall. She's like 6'2 or 6'3. And she really just didn't want to, didn't want the life that her sort of conservative parents wanted for her. She didn't want to marry the people that they were trying to set her up with. And uh, World War II came along and she volunteered and ended up serving in the OSS uh, overseas in in World War II, where she met her her future husband, Paul Child, who was also in the OSS. And uh, he took a job in Paris after the war. And uh, she had a lot of time on her hands in Paris. So she uh, enrolled in the Cordon Bleu School, which at the time was a very male-dominated uh, place. And uh, she had to struggle to, to, to get by in the, in the, in the Cordon Bleu. And, and she documents her collaboration with her fellow female chefs in, in uh, writing her first cookbook and then sort of charting her rise to celebrity status by starting out doing a, a one-off public access show and that sort of turned into the whole the whole French chef and it's, it's really fun fascinating uh, documentary about Julia Child um, another one I saw was called Becoming Cousteau directed by Liz Garbus who recently did All Be Gone in the Dark the HBO miniseries but this is a biography of Jacques Cousteau oh as if you couldn't guess, uh, but yeah, really, uh, you know, really solid uh, down the middle, uh, a portrait of, of uh, Cousteau and, and his family, and, and how he became the sort of uh, uh, you know icon celebrity that 
that he that he became. Uh, another one I saw was called The Real Charlie Chaplin, which is sort of a another sort of right down the middle cradle to grave biography of Charlie Chaplin. Um, probably didn't learn a whole lot. You might not already know about Chaplin, but it has a lot of great footage uh, and some interesting uh, archival interviews. Uh, probably the buzziest documentary I saw it was called The Rescue, uh, that was directed by Elizabeth. Uh, I'm going to mangle this name. Elizabeth Chai Vasarhelyi and Jimmy Chin, who did the documentary Free Solo a couple years ago about the uh, mountain climbing. And this one, uh, this this film, The Rescue, is about the 2018 rescue of the 12 teenage soccer players and their coach who got trapped in that flooding cave in Thailand. And uh, the documentary kind of focuses on this team of elite English cave divers and how they came to work in this rescue and how they interfaced with the the local Navy SEALs and and other people to try to get these kids out before the cave completely flooded out. Um, So really intense, lots of great footage, uh, definitely worth seeing. I'm I'm sure you'll be hearing uh, about that one. Uh, Another one, this was a TBA uh, documentary called uh, Becoming Led Zeppelin, which was a fully authorized documentary about the formation of Led Zeppelin and the recording of their first album. And it's tons of rare behind the scenes footage and these great archival interviews with John Bonham. And just since it documents their early years pre-Led Zeppelin, um, lots of great revelations about the, the band members and what they did before Led Zeppelin. I had no friggin' idea that Jimmy Page, as a teenager, was a session musician on tons of stuff, including Downtown and Goldfinger. Jimmy oh, really? Page played wow. on Goldfinger. That's wow. pretty awesome. And he was also a session musician on albums by The Who, The Rolling Stones, and David Bowie. Um, so he has tons of great stories. And then uh, John Paul Jones and his career as an arranger. He had no idea what an arranger was, but he took the job when it was offered to him. And he did arrangements of all kinds of songs, including a lot of Donovan songs, including Mellow Yellow. So Wow. That's a whole lot of love for Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Nice. And then uh, my personal favorite documentary I saw was called The Automat, uh, directed by Lisa Hurwitz. And it's a documentary about the creation, rise, and ultimate fall of the Horn and Hard Art Automat restaurants. Yep. In New York and Philadelphia. Yep. Yeah. Well, it was all the tribbles that got into the, <laughs> right into the little <laughs> <laughs> this is chicken, chicken sandwich, sandwich and coffee. coffee. <laughs> but it's just it's this really charming uh, feature length documentary about how these guys put together this automat and what you know and and with all these great memory uh, inter- interviews with people like Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Colin Powell. And, and other people telling stories wow. about the automats. And yeah. it's a fascinating story. Uh, I, it, it's definitely worth your time. Did you ever and, go to the automat, Mark? Uh, you know, I walked by it many times, but I never went there. It's a true regret of my I time in New York once. never having gone. I went there no. once. Oh, you went, you went to once? My dad took me, yeah. It was, in, was in, pretty in New York? amazing. In New York, yeah. I yeah, never I went to were... Windows on the World either. My dad took my cousin. Uh, it's like... See? 
And I think the, the, the automats were kind of in decline by the 70s and 80s. Absolutely. Um, their heyday was in the, the 30s and 40s, yep. uh, where yep. they fed more people than any other restaurant in the world. I mean, they, they were a massive operation. It's, it's a truly impressive feat of... Uh, of Efficiency. Uh, yes. Logistics. Logistics. Like, they had a centralized kitchen. Yep. Most efficient states Earth ever knew. <laughs> the automat. So I would look out for that one. And then uh, I saw a couple of revival films. Uh, one was uh, Francis Coppola was in Telluride this year uh, with uh, a restored version of The Rain People and his new director's cut of uh, The Outsiders. So I went and saw The Rain People, which I'd never seen. And right. it was friggin' great. Yeah. I, I, it was terrific. It stars uh, Shirley Knight, uh, James Caan, and Robert Duvall. It was his third feature after Dementia 13. And uh, Did you see Phineas George Rainbow. Lucas in the background taking behind-the-scenes footage? <laughs> <laughs> well, Francis did a Q&A afterward, and I got to ask him a question, which was fun. But uh, it, it's fascinating, like, the making of this film where they um, – they they just went out on the road and essentially filmed it in sequence. And uh, famously, George Lucas was a part of the crew yeah. on this film after meeting Francis on uh, Finian's Rainbow when he was a student observer. And Francis invited him to be part of his little collective. And so George George was part of the team. And, and they had about, I think he said they had about 10 people, a little caravan of vehicles that they would uh, go from place to place. And then they would send scouts out to the nearby towns to look for interesting events or things that they could incorporate uh, into the movie. So there's a, there's a big parade scene in the movie and like, Oh, there's going to be this parade on, on Saturday. We should film at that. So they would wrote a scene to take place at this parade. Um, but really terrific, uh, really terrific movie. If you, if you haven't seen it, I, 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 since this restoration was done, I'm sure that means it's uh, forthcoming. Uh, there's a forthcoming disc or, or streaming release of it. And then no, that's for me, great. Yeah. That's so great. And Coppola was there, you know, with Apocalypse Now Redux. And one yeah. of the joys was when Eleanor Coppola was there with Hearts of Darkness. Um, that was a delight. I, yeah, I got to see Coppola there for Heart, for uh, Apocalypse Now. And he was there with um, John Milius was there, Walter Murch, like the whole, and, and you know, Walter Murch uh, worked on, uh, the, on the Rain People uh, as well as the sound designers part of that collective. Yeah. And remember, we saw George Lucas with THX one one three. Yes, that was that was a really and a really good, interesting Q and A afterwards with Elvis Mitchell. Fantastic, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the the last film that I saw was a was the silent that I that I made time to see. It was called uh, Fragment of an Empire. It's a Soviet silent film from nineteen twenty nine, directed by Friedrich Ermler, and uh, it's uh, it's about an an officer who. Uh, who uh, fights in World War I and loses his memory as a, due to shell shock and is working on this farm when he gets caught up in the Russian Revolution. And as part of that, he, he sees a woman on a train passing through the local train station that he thinks is his wife. And that starts to re-trigger all of his, his memory starts to come back. So he goes back to his hometown of St. Petersburg, which is now Leningrad. And so there's these statues of Lenin, you know, on every corner. And, and he goes to his house, but his house is gone. There's a big apartment block there. And he goes to his, uh, find his old boss to get his job back at the factory. But the boss doesn't own the factory anymore. The workers own the factory. And, and he gets involved with, uh, 
with a, a workers collective and, and discovers that his wife has since remarried to a party official and and he starts to discover the the joys of collectivism in communism <laughs> so, wow. but it's, a, it's a really well-made film i mean you, you know, they take your job they take your wife they take your house and it's awesome well i think that's interesting <laughs> is, is is the soviets always you know a cinematically made brilliant technical movies like mm -hmm. Strike and Potemkin and you know those movies are all uh, amazing uh cinematically not the most entertaining movies this one was actually pretty entertaining um but the gra the, the visuals were incredible there was these great graphical things of like uh, black screen with slashes of light going across snow with a person walking through this I mean it's so striking and then right. great editing you know great montage yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Telluride has been always extraordinary with the sound films. I mean, uh, Lonesome was one of the great sound films they showed, the Alloy Orchestra, you know, which is almost like a Twilight Zone episode. And you see Coney Island back in the 20s. It's it's, it's remarkable. I mean, The Last Command, which I showed at your yes. house once, I saw for the first time there, the great Joseph von Sternberg film with Emil Jannings. Um, remember Speedy? Uh, Speedy, of course, and, and The Crowd. You know, because yeah. that was the year Peter Bogdanovich was the guest director. And he showed, you know, the crowd, which King Vidor, amazing. I mean, and, and they showed Hitchcock's Blackmail, which was a revelation uh, in, in uh, the silent film, just brilliant. So um, they do such a great job in, in terms of preserving these significant uh, silent films and screening them uh, at the uh, festival. And the, the funniest thing about seeing that movie, so I saw that at the Galaxy Theater, which are like all the theaters in town are have generally throughout the year, they have other uses. So there's a couple of permanent theaters. The Nugget Theater is the local town movie theater, which is just a little, a, a little like 200 seat theater. There's the Palm, which is the high school auditorium, which is a 500 seat sort of state of the art thing. That's there year round. And then there's the Galaxy Theater, which is the elementary school gymnasium, which is converted into this really cool state-of-the-art theater. There's the uh, the LaPierre, which is a smaller room in the high school that seats about 120 people. There's the Chuck Jones Theater, which is a 500-seat state-of-the-art theater that's like a conference facility up in Mountain Village. There's the Werner Herzog, which is a, the newest venue. It's uh, The rest of the year, it's an ice skating rink. But it converts it into a 650 seat. But you have to trudge over a mountain theater. and back down. Across <laughs> 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 oceans of time. Oh my god! That's uh, that's fantastic. So, have you? Are you guys? Are you sold on Telluride? Are you ready to 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 to, to go up there next year? I, I'd certainly welcome being a guest there. Right, how, <laughs> I, I, look, I, I think before I answer that question, I've got a question about the new Sheridan now. You've established that the stakes are really great. Really great. Really great, which is really super important. There's a lot of movies. And look, I'm not afraid of going to see a bunch of movies like in a row. I mean, and they have got... an extensive liquor menu, by the way. Okay. If that's where you're so going. So this is where I'm going. They have a full, full, full page of scotches. Okay. All right. So fine. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I did, movies, really blah, great, blah, blah. Uh, I did have what a really great. I did have a really good I had a really great eighteen-year scotch uh, with my steak this year. Nice, very good. How are the pizzas this year? Well, yeah, there's this great local restaurant called Black or Brown Dog Pizza, 
um, which is Detroit style pizza, which is kind of thick crust, not as thick as uh, not like deep dish, but uh, really tasty pizza. A, a lot of the restaurants did like this year. Brown Dog didn't serve indoors, so you they had they had some tables set up outside, or you could take it to go. Um, but yeah, it was terrific. And there's another one in town called High Pie or Pie High <laughs> that. Uh, occupies the the space that was a different restaurant like the restaurants change from time to time i remember we went to another steakhouse there called the powder house that was down oh in the, the yeah basement level that was good unfortunately long gone it's a mexican restaurant now so you might be able to get really? nachos there how how's the mexican food in telluride good <laughs> we didn't go to mexican this year oh okay well yeah. maybe next year okay well listen how exciting that you could be there, you and Dana, and that you could share your experience with us and all these wonderful movies we have to look forward to. Of course, so many are available on streaming as well uh, or coming up on streaming. So they're more accessible than ever. And by the way, before we sign off, I, I want to recommend to movie lovers while we're gone uh, a podcast that I was recently introduced to. It's not one of ours, but uh, I, something you might really enjoy. It's called Ebert and Siskel. And uh, it's from the Ringer Network, and it's the history of uh, Siskel and Ebert. And um, it's a really fascinating look with a lot of clips about, you know, their love-hate relationship and how it began and obviously how it ended so tragically for both of them. But what an amazing influence they had on popular culture and on film criticism and on movies in general. And uh, I really loved it. You're saying you give it thumbs up? I give it two thumbs up. Yeah. And that's a funny tie-in because Roger Ebert was a fixture at Telluride for many years. So you used he to was, see him indeed. there before he got sick. Yeah, he was. He wasn't very friendly, but he was always there. <laughs> yeah, you know, same thing. Michael Moore was there also. He was a bit of a dick. But, uh, but yeah, the um, one time I talked to him, he was a little brusque with me, but I realized later that he just found out his mother had died like the day before. So he was not you know in what? the best of blaming. Well, you didn't kill her. <laughs> yeah. But oh. Elvis, Elvis Mitchell was always a delight. Um, was and, he always uh, leaving Peter, building? P Peter, <laughs> Peter, <laughs> Peter, Peter Bogdanovich, always fascinating and great to talk to. It, it's a great because, you know, everyone's accessible. I mean, like Steve said, you know, Peter O'Toole would just be on a bicycle driving through town. People didn't have handlers and security. And it's like, you know, you could just talk to everybody was there because they love movies. They had that in common. Much like the show where we all love movies, even Wednesdays. So um, <laughs> we, 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 we came out of hiding from our, our hiatus to share uh, this very special experience that Steve had with you. But we are going to be back at the end of October as we begin an all new fifth season of uh, the 430 movie. and or anything uh, goes. Any, it's anything goes. Anything. That Nurhachi is for a small guy. <laughs> so uh, anything goes um, because all films are back on the table. Nothing will no longer uh, be uh, excluded. If we picked it in a previous season, it could be picked again. Everyone? So. Everyone! <laughs> Everyone, every little, every film. Even if Steve picked it tonight on the Telluride <laughs> special report, it is eligible uh, to be picked for an all-new theme week when we return at the end of October. Uh, but until then, on behalf of Steve Melching, Darren Dogterman, 
And Mr. Wednesday himself, Ashley Edward Miller, we thank you for joining us for the 430 movie. We hope you'll listen to our other podcasts, Inglorious Trexperts, Best Movies Never Made, um, and in, uh, the Trexperts Briefing Room, an entirely other podcast, and Cartoon <laughs> Bar Room, uh, all available both uh, wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. So check that out. And until then, we want to thank Mark Rivera, Bill Ritter, Zach Raggetts, Peter Holmstrom, uh, and Natalie Miscali. And we hope you have a great October, or as I think of it, Monktober. Uh, and we'll see you back here at the 430 movie at the end of the month for a very special week of Halloween movies. Until then, we'll see you at the movies. Eyewitness and news Eyewitness News now. starts now. <laughs> <laughs>